The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. to the sports complex on a Tuesday afternoon on the show today we will get in to Big 12 basketball Texas takes on their sixth sixth ranked team in a row tonight we will break that down get you ready for the game the other Big 12 action the big Big 12 upset that happened last night we will get you into all of that uh, we'll also talk a little NBA as the trade deadline looms on a Thursday. National Signing Day is tomorrow. It shouldn't affect the Longhorns too much as most of their guys did the early signing. Uh, but it is National Signing Day tomorrow, so we'll we'll talk a little college football as well. And, of course, the Super Bowl is this weekend, so we'll get into that. And, of course, as always, whatever you guys want to talk about on the text line, 512 512- Four four seven three seven seven six five one two four four seven three seven seven six. Whatever you guys want to talk about, you guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails. So you send in the text. We try to get to everyone on the show and uh, get you guys conversation rolling. I know we got Super Bowl week coming up. Uh, it's uh, we're getting into it now, and uh, I, I'm just I'm I'm excited for a good game. I'm hoping it's going to be good with two good teams, but uh, I, I'm curious on you guys' take. I love hearing different takes of what you know why this game is going to be different, or or who's going to be the standout star, or why this team is flawed from the beginning and can't work, or all of that. You can go ahead and send that in on the text line, and we'll get to them, and we'll get into that. We'll get more into the NFL in the five o'clock hour. More football. We will talk basketball in the four o'clock for you here. Uh, looking at, uh, you know, we'll get into the big fat poll of the day too, which is somewhat Super Bowl related as we get into, you know, you know, we don't have to talk always the most serious sports here. We can, we can, we can have fun on the sports complex as well. Uh, it was a, it was a good day. I'm trying to find out my gym schedule now. So I'm trying to figure out with everything going of how late I can go because there's less people there and I'm still not a hundred percent sure on all gym etiquette. That's there. I think I'm doing pretty good about it, but like, I don't know the gym etiquette of if there's someone on the machine and they're just taking forever. And I know I'm not a machine, but I'm not trying to put on a lot of weight. I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm just trying to do easy stuff. Right. But there'd be someone on there and you're like, okay, well, I'll just kind of wait. They can't be on there long. And then it's like 10 minutes later, you go do something else. You'd get some water, you go to the bathroom, you come back and they're still there just kind of on their phone or they're walking around, but their stuff's still there and they haven't cleaned it. Is there a proper way to be like, hey, man, if you could, you know, there's like 150 people in the gym right now. Maybe 
Is there an, is there proper gym etiquette to slowly nudge somebody to just be like, hey, you're not allowed to just you shouldn't just be there. You know, maybe you're allowed. I don't know, but you shouldn't just stay at one thing for 30 minutes if you're not even really using it. Let you know, let some other people and go walk around and then, you know come back to it a little bit later. I don't know what the gym etiquette is. I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Uh, but while I was at the gym, I was watching uh, the Kansas K State overtime game and uh it was a big upset again and it shows you how hard it is to win on the road at in the big 12 uh kansas gets uh, gets a loss 75 to 70 it goes to overtime uh they're fighting throughout the entire game and then uh tyler perry really stepped it up uh 26 points in the game eight are of his 26 were in overtime he was a guy who really stepped it up at the end uh in the in the end of the game what ends up happening is K-State hits their free throws. Kansas does not. Kevin McCuller Jr. Uh, went down by two. Kansas gets the rebound on a missed Kansas State shot. He gets fouled in the rebound. Dak's going to the other side for one and one. Can tie it up on the free throw line. K-State's not terribly upset. Even if they tie it up, it means they can come back down and take the final shot, and it goes to double overtime or they win. So they're not terribly upset about what the situation is. It ends up Kel McClure misses the front end of the one and one. And from that point, the writing's on the wall. They have to start fouling. There's 21 seconds left in the game. And uh, K-State's able to hit their free throws and walk away from it. Uh, Kansas showed their flaw again that they're a very talented team. A lot of, you know, dispersed scoring in the game. Their defense isn't really where it needs to be. And without that freshman, uh, Furphy, which is the big 6'8 Australian that came in this year that was you know, kind of deciding to say he was going to stay in Australia and play uh, professional ball. But then when Kansas offered him, he thought this would be too big of an opportunity for him to improve his stock, and he definitely has improved his stock. But he goes two for a seven, only puts up four points in the game, and it ends up costing Kansas uh, to not have that extra input of one more player, and they lose the game. But a good, good game, and just, again, shows you how tough the road is in uh, – in the Big 12, it was kind of funny to see that the way the game ended was there was too many like timeouts and free throws, and K-State students really wanted to storm the court, but because there was too much time in between when you knew K-State was going to win and when the game ended, they were able to basically block off and get everybody and be like, you're not storming the court because we don't want to get the fines and we don't want to do any of that, so don't storm the court. Uh, so they were able to basically get everybody in position and you saw guys like trying to get over the rail and everyone's like, dude, you're not, if, if we show our hand early, they know what's happening and they put all the guards out there. Uh, so it was funny to see K-State not be able to storm the players and, and, and Drum Tang went over and, uh, celebrated with the student section though. So it was okay. It was okay. You don't, you don't need to storm the court and storm the field for everything. I know that's my old man take. I know kids today, they're like, we're storming the field. If we beat if we beat a top 25 team, storm the court. And Jerome Tang is the type of guy like, man, we're supposed to be a – I want to be a top 10, top 15 program. That's why I came here, to turn this into a top program in the Big 12. And, you know, we're not achieving this year, but that doesn't mean you just storm the court all the time. You storm the court when you beat number one. And I get you beat number four, Kansas. It's your rival. I get that that's one you like to do when you're unranked. Uh, but uh did not work out for them. Uh, hopefully – Texas will not be storming the court tonight uh, against Iowa State. We hope they win, but hopefully you do not freak out and storm the court if you uh, if Texas wins big over number 14, Iowa State. Uh, it will be a big matchup for uh, Texas in this game. This is a game where Texas is the betting favorite. They may not be the favorite across the board. It is a pretty evenly matched up team here 
in Iowa State. Uh, really, one of the big pieces you're going to have is Tom and, Lib- uh, Tom and Libsey. Uh, he's he's a really good defensive player. You assume they're going to probably put him on Max Acemas. Now, unlike what happened in, in last game where Micah Peavy was able to get on Max Acemas, he was bigger and kind of just took him completely out of the game, ball denied him. I think they'll try and ball deny Max Acemas some in this game as well because it did work for most of the game. Uh, luckily, Lipsy, Lipsy is only 6'1", so he's not going to have a huge size advantage uh, that that they had over Texas at TCU at over Texas on the weekend, but he will try and ball deny Max Aismas as much as possible. You may see Max Aismas bringing the ball up the court a little bit more, but this is again one of the things for Texas that they need to continue to work on as the season progresses, and Max Aismas especially needs to continue to work on because of his size, because of what he does. He needs to watch Steph Curry film and watch Steph Curry off the ball. And realize I need to move off the ball like Steph Curry because I'm not big enough to go out and push my way over and get these balls. I'm not big enough to push around. And if a guy's in my face, I need to be able to move and tire him out and use my stamina and use my abilities in other ways to be able to get the ball and then be able to become a factor in the game. And if nothing else, I'm creating havoc by running across and having guys set screens and switches and do whatever else I can do. But moving without the ball is going to be key for Max Aismas as this season continues. And that goes to Rodney Terry, too. I will always, I'm not going to not criticize Rodney Terry. That goes into Rodney Terry and the coaching staff uh, to continue to find ways in practice to get him to move without the ball, setting screens on the back end, especially when you're talking about a Dylan Mitchell or a, you know, when Caden Shedrick comes in the game or Brock Cunningham, those guys setting baseline screens when they're under the post and letting Max Aismas come back around. Those types of plays are going to be big for Texas as the season goes on to get him open, to get him a couple of more good looks. Not the looks where he's shooting from you know eight feet behind the three-point line. I know he can hit that, but I just it's not a high-percentage shot and not one you want to take in a game where you're playing against teams where these are going to be decided by two or three points. If you're shooting that, if that's a 10% shot or a 15% shot, you shouldn't be taking it unless the shot clock's running out. So you want to be able to get him higher percentage shots, and by doing that, you're going to have to keep setting those screens. Uh, as for Dylan Mitchell, another big matchup for him. He's going to have to get out there on Trey King and keep him down, and then he will probably have some matchups as well with uh, Milan uh, Village. I believe is how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. We'll find out tonight if I'm anywhere close. Uh but he is a 40% three-point shooter. They will most likely try and bring him out. He's 6'8", so you can't really put Kendall Weaver on him. You may put Kendall Weaver on Trey Young because he's a little bit less of a scorer. We'll see how they move Kendall Weaver and Dylan Mitchell in those places. Who's going to be on them the most and try and ball deny and get them out? Uh, but th- this is another place for Dylan Mitchell. If you put him on there, his rim protection is going to go down a lot because he is a three-point shooter. You can't leave too far off of him. They'll drive the paint like everybody knows against Texas. They don't have that rim protector in the paint. They don't have the Jared Allen or the Mo Bamba or one of those guys that Texas had that's been really good in the past. They don't necessarily have that this season, so people are attacking, going after guys. Uh, You also have to look at Robert Jones in this game. Robert Jones, 6'10". He's a 36% free throw shooter, but he still gets to the line. And it's a problem if you're going to match Robert Jones up against a Dylan DeSue, who has gotten into foul trouble multiple games. He's also a really good rebounder. So he is a really, really good rebounder. Uh, Even though Robert Jones is shooting 36% from the free throw line on the road, if he keeps getting Dylan DeSue in foul trouble, they don't care about the points. 
They want to put Dylan DeSue on the bench. So Dylan DeSue, if he's on Robert Jones, which you assume he will be early, uh, he is going to have to step up and box out and play really good defense from a guy who gets a lot of second-chance points for his team. That'll be another key matchup in this game is making sure that Dylan DeSue has Robert Jones boxed out and doesn't get silly fouls against him when Dylan DeSue goes up and misses one and tries to get the rebound but doesn't have angle and you know Robert Jones falls over. Or Robert Jones just comes into the paint. Barrelin is able to get those calls. That's where you have to worry about it for Dylan DeSue. They're going to be coming after him as well. Uh, you also look at uh, Keyshawn Gilbert. Uh, he's a 6'4", 14 points a game, but he has a flaw that he turns the ball over. So you're going to want to ball pressure him. If you put Tyrese Hunter on him, when you may be able to do uh, their leading scorer, uh, it's a, he's giving up a little bit of height, but you're going to want to pressure him in trying to force him into bad decisions, force him into dribbling into, into other pressure, force him into making hard passes because he does average three turnovers a game. And that's something you're going to look at in, in the scouting report and try and figure out a way to get Tyrese Hunter uh, up in his grill and trying to get him or whoever you have guarding him and get him kind of out of his game. Kendall Weaver may switch over on him some too. Kendall Weaver is just a little bit bigger than uh, than Ace Smith and Tyrese Hunter, so you tend to put him up in a lineup that has a couple guys that are going to be a little bit taller. And uh, another name to mention for Iowa State is Curtis Jones. He is the off the bench. He's the energy guy for them off the bench. They have to continue to keep him under wraps as well when he comes out. Don't let him be a spark to ignite them and give them a uh, a run that every run against Texas is just Texas doesn't have that margin of error this season. They don't have enough talent on this roster. They have talent, but not enough and enough depth that you can really allow two or three or four big runs from another team because you're just too tired to keep fighting back out of those holes. You have to be careful with what you're doing. You have to be careful with the turnovers. Those need to come down after the game with TCU as well. Uh, Turn the ball over way too many times in that game. But this is going to be a point for Texas, another point where you have to hold home court. They've been really good. They've been the best Big 12 road team, but they have not been the best Big 12 home team by a long margin. They need to fix that against a good Iowa State team. Uh, you know, this is a team of offense versus offense. I know Texas wants to pride itself on defense. It just hasn't been able to do it this season. Uh, with the rim protection problem, it, it kind of leads to if you play too tight on the on the ends and guys are just able to kind of get around you and either you have to foul them or they get an easy road to the bucket and get an A and one. And it's been a fatal flaw of this team that there's no real solution to uh, because if you go big, you can't space the floor and so you're dead offensively. You kind of have to take the good with the bad. You hope that there's not always these stretch bigs that keep coming over. Emmanuel Miller we saw against TCU. They did a good enough job of rotating over. You're going to see those rotations on defense. When Dylan Mitchell helps in, you cannot leave. Uh, you can't leave one of their guys open. You're going to have to continue to move the ball well uh, for Texas in this game and move defensively well, moving off of screens. They're going to try and get to the rim. Everyone is going to try and get to the rim the rest of the season against Texas, whether it's with Biggs inside where you go against a Kansas and Hunter Dickinson and, and those guys are going to pound you inside, or you could look at you know a, a Houston where they're just going to drive the paint on you over and over again and make you back off and then try and hit threes in the second half. That's kind of the game plan to beat Texas at this point in the season. And without a dominant rim protector and with trying to keep Dylan DeSue out of foul trouble, you don't necessarily want him to come over and help as much. You need Dylan Mitchell to do it, but you need Dylan Mitchell's perimeter defense as well. He gets stuck in that middle point. When he plays really well 
when we saw him play like an NBA player against TCU, then that shows you he can have that ability. He needs to be able to do it from the beginning. Because, again, an Iowa State team that has a lot of potential to put up points, this needs to be a 40-minute game for the Texas Longhorns tonight. They can do it. They've shown the abilities to do it. You need to offensive rebound well. This is not the best offensive rebounding team. Robert Jones is their main guy who goes after them. Uh, so you're going to be able to go after that. You have to be able to, you know, you want to re- uh, offensive rebound, but, you know, leak your guards back. Kendall Weaver has stepped up in that starting lineup. Let's see if his progression will continue. We'll see if they go seven to eight man tonight or if they stay with that, you know, if they go the eight or nine man, if Chris Johnson gets to run any in this game tonight uh, against Iowa State. But it, it, it's it's a tough road. It's a tough road for the for the Longhorns. They do get to be a little bit happier that once you get through this game, then you are playing a weekend game against West Virginia, and then you have the next week off until the next Saturday. So this is the game. Go put it all out there. There is no reason to rest too much in this game. I know West Virginia beat Texas at West Virginia. I'm or Texas. Yeah, Texas lost to West Virginia. I'm aware of that. They need to stop that. Like that, you have to get retribution when they come to Texas. We we know that you can't look past that game. I don't want to look past that game. But we also know this is a big, big matchup for for Texas because at the end of the day, when we look at the Big Twelve and and the losses that Texas has suffered and the problems that Texas has had, they're still two games out of first place in the Big Twelve. They're by by no margin out of the Big Twelve picture right now. Now you you have to you can't have those little slip ups later in this you know that you've had before. You can't drop two in a row anymore. You can't do those things. You have to be able to go pick up a lot of you know unprofitable wins. You you know after the West Virginia break, it gets hard again, real real quick. Uh, you're gonna have to play Houston on the road and Baylor on the road and Tech on the road. There's Kansas on the road. Like there is some hard matchups coming up at the end of the season for this Texas team. So you need to get wins like this tonight at home at Iowa State. You have to be ready from tip-off. And that has been one of the biggest problems. I'm not sure we'll see it tonight because we haven't seen it all season. That this Now they've shot well off of tip-off, but defensively the effort has not been there. Rebounding the effort has not been there in the first three or four minutes of any game. So you need to have that effort step up. You like the shooting to be there too, but you want to see the defensive effort step up again uh, they're going to attack early. They're going to attack often in the paint. Texas, you have to withstand that and keep coming back for more against Iowa State. Uh, elsewhere in the Big 12, BYU, number 21 BYU is going to Oklahoma. This is an Oklahoma team that was ranked doing pretty well at a non-conference. The Big 12 has beaten them up pretty badly because they just don't have the offensive weapons. And, you know, even in the Big 12, you have to be able to play some defense. And so everyone plays defense. Oklahoma still plays good defense. They don't have the offensive pieces to get it going for them uh, really, really well. And it's hurt them so far, but it is a home game. Can BYU's offense travel and score on the road? We'll see tonight if BYU gets another big road win in their quest to win the Big 12 in their first season in it. And we can look at Texas Tech. Is Number 23, Texas Tech, is at number 13, Baylor. Baylor is 11-1 at home. It is a hard place to win there in Waco. Uh, this is a game where Texas Tech has shown in the games they've lost, they've tried to trade baskets. Their defensive uh, presence has lapsed, and they rely on Pop Isaacs too much. They were tr- they rely on trying to trade baskets. Baylor's not a great defensive team, but you can't, in the Big 12, on the road, pretty much anywhere, try and trade baskets. 
you have to get an edge defensively and have your defense travel to have any shot on the road uh, in the Big 12 because once you start trading baskets, it becomes really difficult when you miss a couple and they hit a couple to get that comeback in the in the last 10 minutes, 8 minutes, 6 minutes of a game. You have to be able to get those shots down. That's what's happening in the Big 12. All right, we're going to push NBA back a little bit, so why don't we get to Big Fat Pull of the Day uh, so we can get you guys involved in the text line. 512-447-3776 is the text line. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. So I want to have a little fun, and I want to have a question for you guys because I'm curious about this as someone who's been to many, many Super Bowl parties, many, many uh, watch parties for games, and it always feels like there's a right amount of people, and I'm not sure what it is. But there feels like there's a right amount. There's an amount that it's too small because then it's like if it's like four people, then maybe it's not enough because then if one of the guys isn't really into it, now you're cheering and then you can't have, you know, it's the conversation and then two people are having a conversation and then you're like one other guy and you're trying to watch. So I don't know fours if it's like if, if it's too few or if you go too many and then you have 25 people and then there's 18 different conversations and you're trying to watch the game. So I, this is the question. And it's different for everybody, but I want to kind of get a poll for my guys here on the for everybody listening, my guys, my gals, who everybody's listening on the tech on the sports complex. What is the right amount of people for a Super Bowl watch party? What's the right amount of people at that party? Now you can say I don't want to watch with anybody. I'm going to sit and watch a game by myself. That's how I watch it. And I'm not saying every game because I get Texas games that think are different when it's your team and you're really going into it. It's a little bit different. A Super Bowl watch party. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. But at the same part, if I just sit at home and watch the Super Bowl, the fanfare of it all and the 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 the, ex, the, the enormity of it all, it kind of loses something just sitting in your room or sitting in the living room by yourself. So I enjoy watching with other people. What do, what do you think is your amount? And you can give a range like ten to fifteen or you know five to ten. What is your amount? Or you can say zero to five. You can say I don't want any, I don't want that many people. I want more snacks. And too many people is too many snacks. But I think where I mean I know where I'm going this year, and there's going to be. Lots of snacks, lots of food, because I know who's there, and I know I'm bringing stuff. It's going to be great. But what is the right amount of people to watch the Super Bowl with? Right amount of people to, to for a Super Bowl party? Let me know on the on the text line, 512-447-3776. If you want to talk college basketball, we can get to that as well. Anything else, you can get to that uh, on the text line, 512-447-3776. Uh, all there on the text line. Uh, we'll get into some uh, great sound from Hook Em Up with Ian Robbie. We come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex ah! on the Horn. When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say, Back 
Back in the sports complex here on the Horn, musical theme of the week, playing Super Bowl halftime artists throughout the years. We'll keep those going throughout the week until we get to a 5-1-2 Friday. Some Paul McCartney, a classic performance there at the Super Bowl halftime show. Not, not. I don't think I know if it's, it may be top 10. It's not top 5, but it's got to be top 10, Paul McCartney, the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll have some others that I think are top 5. Some others that were top 5. We'll be in there and we'll be on the list for sure. Uh, we'll keep the party rolling. Text lines open, 512-447-3776. you got any thoughts about Texas basketball tonight, college basketball in general, NBA, college football, signing day is tomorrow. If you want to talk about the poll of the day, what is the right amount of people for your Super Bowl watch party? What is the right amount of people to have to watch the Super Bowl with? Let me know that on the text line. I want to play some sound from Hook'em Up with Ian Robbie. Getting you ready for signing day tomorrow. Mike Craven was joining Aaron Hogan this morning. Uh, uh, from Dave Campbell's Texas Football, and uh, he has some good insights, uh, him and Aaron, talking about uh, signing day tomorrow. It's not a huge day for Texas, but it is. It's a big day for college football still. It's not early signing day. That has become the big one, but another big day. I'm sure uh, Sark's going to be speaking to people tomorrow. We'll try and have some sound for that for you tomorrow, uh, but here's some uh, hook em up replay here on the Sports Complex. Mike Craven is hanging with us. He is the senior writer of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, also my co-host on the Eyes on Texas podcast. We're going to be recording a new episode of the EOT this week, and we'll be talking a lot, Mike, about uh, National Signing Day, even though there may not be a lot to talk about. But, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has a 10-15 availability tomorrow, which uh, will be happening right during this show in the 10 o'clock hour uh, to talk about the entire signing class and kind of double back on some things. They, they're not expected to sign anybody tomorrow. Uh, but they obviously have 18 players already on campus, the early enrollees to go with the portal editions, eight of them. So you're talking about uh, 24 new players or 26 new players already on campus for Texas right now um, from last year that are either portal editions or uh, high school players who are already here. That means five of the 20, so five are still left to join. And we'll hear Sark talking about that tomorrow. And you're headed down to College Station tomorrow. I am. To uh, cover, because it does feel like Mike Elko was his first National Sunday Day has more news, more newsiness happening. Yeah, I mean, we saw Sark for a whole week at the Sugar Bowl. You know, we've kind of done the Texas thing. Um, you know, he's been there for a few years now, so not as many hires in, in the staff. But, you know, for Elko, it's not only the signing class, but he'll talk about why he picked Colin Klein as his offensive coordinator, why, why he went the way he did defense, what he was trying to do with the staff, what he's trying to do with the enrollees and the transfers. I think they have over 22 transfers, you know, that are coming in. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting about, you know, I used to be the recruiting guy at, at the Statesman, so I uh, worked at Rivals for a long time, so recruiting is kind of like my secondary love. And back in the day, I know I'm, I'm not that old, but back in the day, if you signed 22 players and four of them were early enrollees, that was a pretty decent amount of early enrollees, probably a couple quarterbacks or something. Now, out of the 22 players Texas has signed, 18 of them are already on campus much less, you know, waiting for that secondary signing period. So what we thought of as National Signing Day, you know, five, ten years ago is, is no longer National Signing Day. Early signing period is, is really National Signing Day. Uh, this is just for a few stragglers and uh, some guys who maybe got out of their letter in tents because of, of coaching changes. And uh, for the state of Texas, the biggest story is Terry Bussey, the ath- athlete at Timpson uh, who won a state championship there in the, in the 2A level. He's been an A&M commit forever. Uh, LSU making a, a real run at him, and so that that's going to kind of dictate the happiness or sadness in College Station tomorrow. What has been uh, to your realm since you cover? You know, we cover Texas and here on the Horn, and a lot of Longhorn conversation on the daily. But uh, Texas A and M, you cover all the schools in the state for Dave Campbell's. What what has been the buzz for for Mike Elko in his first month on the job, or however long it's been now? 
Yeah, I think it's been mostly good. I think the staff he's put together, just kind of football dudes that, that you know, kind of go with that blue-collar mentality that he's trying to bring. I think that's what Texas A&M fans want their football team to be. They want the defense. They want the wrecking crew. They want the smash-mouth running game and the big offensive line. I mean, that's traditionally what Texas A&M football is about, kind of being the antithesis of maybe what Sarkeesian's doing here in, in Texas with the, with the fast and the fun and, and the exciting offense and stuff like that. They kind of want to – get back to that R.C. Slocum uh, style of football. And they talked about that during the process. I think that's why Mike Elko ended up uh, kind of being at the top of their list in terms of replacements. And so I think so far so good. You know, there's that honeymoon period, right? I mean, they they opened the season against Notre Dame at home. And so, you know, they lose that football game, and he's going to figure out what happens in College Station when you lose football games, just like all coaches do uh, when they finally get their first loss. But I think right now – Everybody's enjoying the staff that they put together, and I think he's put together a, a pretty excellent transfer staff. It doesn't have a lot of stars. Like, they lost an Evan Stewart. They lost a Walter Nolan. They're not going to bring in guys that have those kind of recruiting or, or even the guys that have those kind of draft prospects. But they brought in a lot of really good football players with a lot of production at other places and a lot of times have more than just one year of eligibility left. Um, and I've always heard coaches talk about you recruit for potential, you portal for production. And they've portaled a lot of guys who have played college football that you don't have to guess whether they can handle it or not. They already have. Yeah, and, so, and some of the levels. But what are they going to be come you know, SEC competition time? That'll be the question for them as you develop. But, yeah, you, if you can play football, you can play football. We're watching Max Aismas in basketball playing at Oral Roberts. But, you know, he's one of the best cards in the Big 12, too. Because if you can put the ball in the basket, you can put the ball in the basket. Uh, and I do think it's interesting because, uh, you know, Rod talks about this a lot because Rod is a uh, – football theorist self-proclaimed but he actually is he loves to, st- to study the f- theories of football and I'm just reading a story in the New York Times this morning about uh, um, Kyle Shanahan and his bunch formations right his condensed sets that Rod has taught us about for show after show which is you know essentially for years the the spread offense that was run was designed to create space what Michael Kyle Shanahan has been on the forefront of is condensing those sets and then using the empty spaces to create the leverage. And, you know, Rod talks about all the time in the bunch formations and, you know, condensed sets and things. It's just, you know, but you, you always want to be on the forefront of that, right? You always want to be – that's what a football theorist, as Rod says, does. And to, to Sark's credit, when Sark got here, he, he's admitted he studied the teams that were making the Final Four. Mm-hmm. How are they constructed? How are they built? What are their what, – what, what traits do they have? Well, they all had really good quarterback play. <laughs> so let's rebuild our quarterback room. They they had great big offensive and defensive lines, so the big humans, and you know, and they had speed. They had speed everywhere, uh, especially at wide receiver, and then on the outside. And that's you know, that's not like rocket science, but it is good to study what's winning and what's winning in your conference and what type of teams. And that's what he has set out to build at Texas diligently: big humans, speed, and quarterbacks. And Texas A&M would add one more to that. That's defensive-minded coach. Okay. Right, you look at the Kirby Smarts, the Nick Sabins. I mean, there hasn't been a head coach who's the offensive play caller win a national championship, I think, in 20 years. Maybe one. Maybe Jim, Jimbo Fisher, I think, is at Florida State, is the only one since the 2000s that's had a, a play caller be the head coach. And so it's been – now, some of that's coincidence, right? Alabama, Georgia, like a lot of the places that win national championships, they have to have a defensive coach. Uh, but that, that was what A&M was looking for. That's why Mark Stoops' name popped out there, you know, initially. They won a defensive-minded coach who can follow that same Georgia-Alabama uh, route to success. Uh, and they think they found that with Mike Elko. Time will tell. Uh, but that, that's kind of – they were doing that same thing, trying to do an autopsy of – 
hey, let's look at the, la the last 10, 15 teams that have won a national championship. What are some common denominators? One of the things that they found was a defensive-minded head coach. Well, to your point, I mean, Sark can't make himself a defensive coach, and he was hired, but he hired Pete Kwiatkowski. And, you know, much like we heard earlier this morning, Dan Quinn, the new Washington coach, talking about why he hired Cliff Kingsbury, he said, any time I went against him, he gave me fits. I mean, he was hell to stop. Much like I thought of Kyle Shanahan when he hired Kyle Shanahan in Washington. So Dan Quinn saying, you know, I've always had my eye on Cliff if I could ever bring him. And now he's coming to Washington. And that's what Sark said about Pete Kwiatkowski is that, you know, whether I was, you know, he was a Boise State or he was at Washington. Whenever I went up against PK, man, that guy gave me hell. <laughs> and uh, to, the, to that point, you bring in a defensive coordinator who you really trust. And, you know, the, the way we, the, the Sark Longhorns have built this roster – you know, it started with the offense. Let's be fair about that. Sark is an offensive guy. It started with the offensive line, uh, started with quarterback, started with speed. And now, as Rod and I have talked about a lot, and you, would, it, it's time to get to the defense. And PK's being able to assemble the pieces he needs to run his defense. I think for the first couple of years, it was really using guys that maybe didn't fit what he wanted to do, so he'd kind of mold it. Uh, now, I look, go back to when he was at Washington. It was you know, the 2-5-4 defense, right, or 2-4-5, however you wanted to do it, or 2-4-5. So, so two big, sturdy tackles who just hold the point. And then four linebackers that are hybrid players. They can do a lot of different things. They can edge rush. You know, think Colin Simmons, think uh, Ethan Burke, think these guys that can put their hand on the ground and rush but also can get after it. Uh, and then traditional linebackers, which they want. And you had, you know, I think Jalen Ford last year. This year it'll be Leona LaFau and uh, these others. And then, you know, really – versatile, big defensive backs that can cross-train, play safety, disguise coverage, play corner. And now you're with these last couple of classes, what you're seeing Pete Kwiatkowski build on defense and into the portal with a guy like Andrew Makuba, a guy like Trey Moore coming in from UTSA. It does feel like PK is now getting to build his side of the ball a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and, and football is, is cyclical, and, and defense has to be reactionary in a way, right? And I remember when Texas A&M joined the, big, or the SEC and Johnny Manziel kind of ran all over that conference. You know, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart kind of looked around and go, okay, we're too big on defense. Our linebackers need to get faster. Our safeties need to get faster. The spread is coming. It's, it's going to be all across college football. It's not just a Big 12 thing. Uh, and they reacted to that, right? Well, football is becoming positionless. Guys like Kyle Shanahan are, are creating offensive football where your running back can play wide receiver, your wide receiver can play running back, your tight ends can split out, right? And so you have to counter that defensively and come up with defensive guys who don't just play one single thing, that they can, they can play in the nickel, they can play in a 4-3, they can play on the edge, they can cover a little bit. Uh, and that's going to take a little bit of time to build the trust on Because Sark had immediate – uh, trust on the recruiting trail as an offensive guy. Yep. All right. You have to build that, you know, for somebody like Kwiatkowski. That's not a household name, especially in Texas and in the Southeast. They had to build that trust over years. I think they they have that after after a few years of playing really good football, especially after making the college football playoff. And you've seen the defensive caliber, the caliber of defensive player start to match the caliber of offensive player that they've been recruiting the whole time. Well, and you can see it with this year. I mean, they, they're going to have four really good linebackers that can rush the passer, but can also drop into coverage where they need them. They will have edge players uh, and Colin Simmons and Colton Vosick and Ethan Burke and Baron Sorrells. Uh, and then what they really are looking for is those big defensive tackles, and that's why getting the kid from, from Arizona to come in, Sadir Mitchell needs to develop. Um, you know, Alfred Collins needs to have a really good year for them up front, Vernon Broughton uh, up front. So, But then, man, you can see where that secondary is going, where you're going to be, you know, Derek Williams should be a star, uh, the big, rangy, cover like crazy, the long arms, they call him the Raptor, to go with Andrew Makuba and Jade Barron, two, two 5 one two kids who are, are good buddies. 
that's a really versatile set of safeties who can do a lot of different things in coverage and up and support the run and create plays. And then you've got uh, the, you know, the corners on the outside and Manny Muhammad and Terrence Brooks, I mean, that can really cover. Uh, and that's uh, it's obviously the, 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 the plan to moving into the SEC. You want to be versatile where you can be big and physical when you play a, a physical run team. That's why the, the addition through the portal of Kendrick Blackshire from, from Alabama is big, right? He's, he's a box linebacker, which box linebackers don't play a lot, but you will play some teams, Michigan, week two, that you need a box linebacker uh, that can saddle up, take on a fullback, and uh, you know, play traditional football. That's when you get really good because uh, you, 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 you can kind of mix and match depending on who you're playing on your schedule week by week. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we're going to learn so much about the state of Texas in the first two weeks of the college football season. I mean, A&M starts with, with the game against Notre Dame, and then Texas goes to Michigan in, in week two. So we're going to figure that out um, pretty quickly. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think if you're Texas, you feel better about the talent on your defensive side of the football than you have since, I mean, probably Matt Brown was on campus, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think it, so. It's been a Will long Muschamp. time. Right, it's been a long time since you could look at the two deep on the defense and just go, okay, well, that's a dude, that's a dude. How do you even get that guy on the football field, right? Like, they, they have those issues now where you start looking at the backups pushing the starters for, for a long time. You know, there wasn't a ton of depth to push those frontline players, and it's probably why they didn't perform as well. There's not, there's not as many guys behind you to kind of make you raise your game up a little bit. And so I think Texas is finally getting into that on the def- – they've had this on the offensive side of the ball the last couple of years. I think finally on the defensive side of the ball, um, that, that young talent is going to end up being better than some of that older talent that was experienced and kept their spots, but now they're getting replaced by guys with much higher upside. Yeah, well, and I think to, to the secondary point, that was the frustration of all Longhorn fans last year was the safeties and coverage and, you know, the well, that's, that's because they had, they had uh, safeties who were – you know, they, they had strengths, but they also had a weakness. And when they were on the field, the defense, the offense would attack their weakness. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't, have a, they didn't have a set of safeties that could do, a lot of, do all the things, right? So they, kind of t- they, they would have a tell. Okay, this, they're planning for run here because they got their run safeties on the clean so we can go, go deep and go pass and try to get them in one-on-one coverage. You know, this is what you're trying to disguise on the defense. And you're right, they do have more players pushing. And that's, uh, you know, this is to your point of you recruit for the future, but you portal for, for – uh, you, you recruit high school for the foundation. You recruit the portal for needs and for production. And Texas absolutely did that. I know how many total portal players did A&M bring in? Do we know? Is it 15 or 16? Maybe more. I know Texas. Oh, no, had, it's, it's 20, 23. 23. 22, 23, something like that. Well, because well, they had a lot of guys of their own into the portal. Mm-hmm. Like Texas lost 13 through the portal but added eight, right. um, which uh, real good attrition for the Longhorns. And, but the eight that Texas brought in all, I mean, especially a wide receiver and tight end, I mean, they can be immediate impact. Um, because, you know, you're bringing in, you know, three really good receivers and then uh, Nye Black, the tight end, who's not JT Sanders, but he is a vertical threat in the passing game. This Texas, you just said it, the defense should be more versatile and and deeper. The offense is going to be more explosive next year than it was this year Um, because – uh, you know, Jaden Blue is one of the fastest running backs in this league. It's going to be he and C.J. Baxter. What a thunder and lightning combination that will be. And you know, I, I saw our friend Chip Brown had a report the other day from 24-7 Sports that one of the scouts he talked to, you know, says that Jaden Barron has a Jameer Gibbs kind of skill set uh, just with the outright speed. And so if you combine a big back and a little back and then you've got speed everywhere. Because last year with Texas in the receiving game, you, you know, your one speed guy was X Man. Your route runner was was A D Mitchell, and probably your red zone guy, Jordan Whittington, was a running back out there. Uh, and then you know, J T Sanders became your really biggest matchup problem. Well, you're gonna have four guys out there that can run, like really run, 
Like, okay, what do we? We're going to overwhelm you with speed when you're going. Matthew Golden, Vaughn from Alabama, um, Silas Bolden coming in from Oregon State uh, to go with Jonte Cook, and then you had a, a, a Amari Nyblack from from Alabama, the speed tight end. You, you mean that because you know what you know. Defensive coordinators are terrified of speed. Oh yeah, terrified of speed. And if you can put five, and if you consider Jade Barron <laughs> with the speed he's going to bring, that's a really fast offense with a really good quarterback and what should be an experienced offensive line. That's pretty scary. Yeah, I think Sark has really put on – we've talked about this on the podcast before. I think Sark has really put on a master class on how to build a roster in modern football yep. with the portal. Um, and he's done it like the NFL. And I, I think some of the, his, the experience he had in the NFL around roster management helps him because you use – the recruiting from high school like you use the NFL draft. And then you use the portal like you would use free agency to kind of just fix a couple of the spots that maybe you just – you whiffed on on the recruiting or it didn't work out or that guy transferred or the guy you really think is going to be your next whatever is still a freshman or a sophomore and just hasn't developed quickly enough. You go get that – guy to bridge that gap you go get a tray more on the edge to bring you instant production while those other young guys like Colin Simmons maybe grow up a little bit and become three down football players um, you're building the plane as you're flying it right now in college football because everything is so new nobody's had to do it this way before uh, but I think we're going to look back in 10 years and realize that Sarkeesian was one of those coaches that got it early that understood uh, how to do it early, and Texas has benefited from having somebody in charge that has seen NFL rosters that understands free agency because that's all the portal is. If you start looking at the portal as if it's NFL free agency, I, in my opinion, it makes a lot more sense conceptually as a fan. Yeah, and as a coach, and you, you don't want to overuse it because any anybody that follows the NFL knows if you're overusing the the uh, the free agent market, that means you're overpaying, exactly. and that means you didn't draft well. Because yep. you're you're having to fill too many holes. If you're drafting well, and you, to your point of the high school recruiting, you know Kelvin Banks is your left tackle. This year they're bringing in Brandon Baker from Modern Day, who's a five star. Who, if when Kelvin Banks moves on to the NFL next year, can slide over and be your left tackle, right? You want a left tackle, you want a quarterback, you need pass rushers, you need speed, and yes, he's doing that through the uh, the, the high school ranks as the foundation, and then plugging holes through free agency, uh, as we know it as NIL. And yes, he, you know the Texas has deep NIL pockets. That's help. That helps for sure. Uh, but at the same time, the one thing I've said consistently about Sark since he got here and we started covering him, he doesn't bellyache about stuff. Like, you know, I'm sure there are things about college football he hates, like a lot of people do, the Dabo Swinney's of the world, but he doesn't complain about it. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. You, you have to compete in this realm until they get it fixed, right? And I can, I can say I don't like it, and he'll probably say it tomorrow with his press conference he's got availability. But, you know, I still have to work within it and maximize it to, to the best as we can as it's getting fixed. You said the plane is still being built here, uh, but those who embrace it and are like, okay, I mean, I like this all that much. I wish it was different, but I'm, I'm not – I mean, Dabo Swinney to this moment has still not added a transfer portal player, not one. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he's like just being adamantly stubborn about it. Well, is that what's best for your program? Is that what – because Clemson's already sliding, guys. And you're not adding any pieces when there's really good pieces available. And if you're a Clemson fan, you have to be driving yourself crazy because you're a program that, that kids want to go play in because you've won recently. They, you, well, you, while they were growing up, you were winning championships. And you're not even using that brand and trying to use that, uh, that as an asset to say, man, we could fill some holes here. Nope, nope, that's not how it should be. Good stuff there from Hook'em Up with E. And Rob B, weekday morning, 6 to 11. I believe Rob Baber's back tomorrow, but always good when Mike Craven joins uh, Aaron as well. 
We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Hit the text line, 512-447-3776. we got thoughts about Texas basketball tonight or the poll question. What is the right amount of people to, to have at your Super Bowl watch party? What's the right amount of people? How many people do you like at your party? Is it small? Is it big? Let us know. Uh, and if you want to talk some NFL, some Super Bowl, some college football, some some college basketball, whatever you want to get into, let us know on the text line, 512-447-3776. We'll get into that when we come back from this break here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the Horn. Sports Complex here on the Horn on a Tuesday afternoon playing uh, Super Bowl halftime performance artists all week long. Boy, my voice just starting to go out. That's great. Uh, <laughs> we're going to keep the party rolling. Text lines up at 512-447-3776 on the text line. Uh, I got a couple people asked about what I said at the beginning of the show that have been going to the gym, uh, but then there's people that I'm like, all right, well, I'm just trying to hit like two or three machines, you know, just try and go every day and get a little, get a little in and... Uh, <laughs> and there will be people that just seem to be on their phone on the on the whatever machine or doing whatever and you're just like I kind of need to get where you're at and I just I'll be there for like 10 minutes max 5 minutes probably I'm pretty quick now cuz I'm trying to keep my heart rate up so I'm trying to do it I'm, I'll be quick but uh the, the advice now I appreciate the advice guys it says uh just has just ask how many sets you got left another one says uh just ask how many sets they have left that usually gets them moving I appreciate that I may try that I, I normally stay away from I just I normally my normal tactic is to stare at them until they look back and then I look away. I don't know if that's the right way. That's my normal one, but uh <laughs> I might have to change that up. Uh Dexter says, uh uh for our poll of the day, how many people is the right people for a Super Bowl watch party? And I know it differs for everybody, but I'm I'm trying to poll you guys to see what you guys do. And uh Tex says, I have about twenty coming to mind. We do it right with the potluck. This year's theme is red. I think that works. Both teams are red. Is it red for one team, Texter, or is it red specifically Chiefs, or is it scarlet red, or is it red because both teams have red, and you said red works. They both have red in them. Uh, I mean, that it works. They, you know, red is you just or you're always rooting for a winner if you got the red. I think I think the 49ers are technically scarlet red, but it still works. Uh, right guy from New Mexico says, it all depends on where the party is going to be at. If I'm going to be at my buddy's studio apartment, then no more than four people. If I'm going to my father-in-law's four-bedroom house, I'd say eight to ten people, but no more than 12. I will tell you, this is a technique I've used. Uh, and this is a thing I started doing at, uh, at Super Bowl parties 15 years ago. I would get a projector and a screen and put them up in the backyard. Now, I know it's supposed to rain here on Sunday, so we may not be able to do it this season. But it was a big thing where I would put, you know, and I, I've done it before earlier with the TV in the backyard. But it was a key of what I would tell people. It was like, if you're in a small room, 
uh, trying to enjoy the game, and then somebody there who's annoying, and they're yapping on about whatever, or they're the ones who are like, it's all rigged, or they're yelling about it, whatever it is, it's annoying you. Uh, then you need another place to go. So I always put one in the backyard, and then once you open up the backyard at a lot of these places, it then uh, opens up the house a lot more, and then you're like, okay, now we can have 20 people here, and it's not so bad. Uh, but I agree. If you're all kind of in one room, you do have to limit it a little bit or else no one's moving around. Then you have that weird part where there's just one dude. Like I was saying, Jim, there's just one dude that's over by the queso. And you're like, dude, you've been at the queso for 20. I can't even get over there now. I don't, I don't want to stay over there. I just want a few chips of queso. And you are, you're ruining it. The whole party's ruined. I like queso. Uh, we're going to take a break. We come back. We'll have more of your text messages. We'll hit the top of the hour. We'll talk. Uh, we got NBA talk. We have Super Bowl talk. We got a whole lot more coming up in hour two. And, of course, more of your text messages. Keep sending them in here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com.